not the pastor here, uh, but I, I, uh, I would consider myself an ordinary, unschooled man that spent time with Jesus, and uh, that's fun. Nothing against teaching, because David has become a teacher since he's been here, and he didn't start out that way, but now I would consider him that. Um, and I just want to real quick, I just want to give, uh, give a round of applause to our pastor, David, for everything he does here. Some of you don't know him, but as, maybe as well as I do, but he's been uh, nothing but good to me through this whole process. Asking me, he kind of asked me a couple weeks ago if I would feel comfortable teaching, and I was like, I'm not going to make that decision. I need you to tell me to do it. And he's like, then you're going to teach it. And I'm like, okay. So I just, because I really just want to guard my heart in this, and I want to honor him, and I want to honor you guys, and I don't want to do anything. Not that I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to incorrectly interpret this scripture. So I got Corby as my blasphemy check, so we'll be good <laughs> if, I, if I go too far off. Um, That's perfect. Okay. So I guess, yeah, real quick, I'll just, I'll just pray. I, nobody prayed for me this morning. I can't believe it. And that's because I was, I was too busy. I was too busy. I was too busy putting in my notes. So I was, I'm sure you guys prayed. Okay, good. Well, I just want to pray real quick, just real simple. Um, God, thank you so much for the testimony of your, of your son. And that seeing that has changed my life so much. And that everything I've been through is just a small picture of what you were willing to go through to get me back. And that just, it's amazing, your power and what, what you're capable of doing if we would just believe your love. And just let me express that today. Just nothing but that encouragement to lift people up into their rightful place, which is completely loved by you. In Jesus' name. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read through this section of Scripture. We're going through Luke 7, 36 through 50. So bear with me. It's quite a bit of Scripture, but I'm going to kind of just set up the context of the morning, and then I'm going to share my testimony as quickly as I can. So here we go, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, the woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now the Pharisees who had invited him, saying, invited him, saw this. He spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know of would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. I don't know how he said that. I'm, I'm assuming he was very respectful in the way he said, Teacher, say it. Um, maybe not, though, because they didn't actually invite him into his house on a on a welcoming. It was more of, it came right off the end of this last scripture we went through where there was... Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and it wasn't a great conversation. So, and Jesus goes on to say, There was a certain creditor 
who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head, of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Sorry, it's crazy. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, man. That's just such a perfect, like, I just, when David asked me to preach this section, I was like, man, that couldn't have been a better section. I mean, there's, I, I guess I could say that about everything, really, involving Jesus, at least. I'd I love Jesus. He's just, he's what changed my life. Like, finally seeing him is what changed everything, but I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, what time do I have, Tell? Just wondering. Don't do that. Okay, well, I'll try to. So, yeah, I'll explain, I guess, how I got here. Um, so, in AA, we like to say, we like to do what it was like, what happened, and what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. So I kind of formed my, uh, my sermon based on that, which is kind of fun. I'm sure the AA people will appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, just, I'll just start. I had a good childhood, no complaints. My parents were amazing to me. They did the best that they could. I had no experience with alcoholism or addiction. I had nothing in my family or any reasons of abuse, any, any legitimate reasons to, to become a victim, or in a sense, at least how I felt, or, or a reason to feel like I was worthless, or to do the things that I did in my life through addiction. I didn't really have a legitimate reason as far as things that happened to me. And that's what's crazy to me, is that uh, it wasn't what happened to me, it's what was being introduced in my mind. The lie. I, I, the liar, I call him, uh, saying, you're not enough. You'll never be enough. There's nothing you can do to be worthy. You're worthless. Your life will never amount to anything. So I basically tried to counter live that way, to try to prove my worth um, and impress my parents, who already loved me, but just through high school and stuff. Through junior high, I was very... People, I tried to resist using drugs and alcohol. People tried really hard to get me to because of that. Like It's almost like you'd think they would leave me alone, but they're like, oh, this, this guy doesn't want to get drunk and high. Then we're going to get Alex Rice. We're going to get him high. And I may, I've made it based on just pure fear of what would happen to my vital organs because of the D.A.R.E. program when I was 12. That's what, <laughs> that's what kept me not using. And it, I'm serious. Like I met those pictures when that police officer came in. I was like, I'm never doing drugs. And it worked for like probably four years. And then I made it to high school, you know, and 
there would just always be this divide on the weekends. My friends who I played sports with, they would go somewhere, and I would just never go to the parties. And I even went to a party one time and didn't drink. I was just like the sober guy at 2 o'clock in the morning watching everyone like, why did I do this? And just like throwing up and like just like, I would just be like, man, this is, why, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Like it seemed insane to me. And I had the right perspective of it, but ultimately my desire to be accepted kind of made that just go away because I wanted to fit in. And I got, on my junior year of high school, I ended up getting drunk on the, the first, uh, it was after the football game, like the first week of school, and we went out to Longview, in the, or out in Kelso CC camp on this logging road way out in the middle of nowhere, and I just remember feeling that, that crazy gratification once I, once I drank, and everyone just welcomed me in, like I'd done something amazing. Everybody was cheering, and they were like, man, Alex, oh my gosh, and I just had all these cool, funny things to say. And then next thing I know, I fall back in the back of a truck, a bed of a truck, and I wake up the next morning. And it was, I was terrible. I remember, like, I was so sick, and I looked all over, expecting to, like, that I threw up everywhere. And I said to one of my friends, I was like, man, I was like, it's crazy, I didn't throw up, that's kind of weird. And he's like, what are you talking about, man? You were puking your guts out for like a half an hour. We didn't know what to do with you. Like, I, I probably almost had alcohol poisoning to the point to where I could have died my very first time drinking because of that, that, that lie, and I was willing to do whatever it took. And from there on, that's basically kind of how I lived my life. Um, my grades went from, like, a 3.9, 4.0 in, like, ninth grade to by the time I graduated high school, I, was, I got, like, a 2.2, and I, I barely passed my history class that I needed to graduate. My teacher just gave me a D- minus or something. Like, I almost didn't graduate high school, and I was a really good student. Um, and from there, I just kind of went, went about, I didn't have any plans. I went to Lower Columbia College for a little bit, dropped out, was partying, worked in construction, and I was still kind of doing drugs the whole time, just slowly increasing what I was using. And then uh, one, one day, I broke my collarbone, and that's kind of what set things off on a, in a bad way and I uh, got a prescription. And from there, it was like the justification that I needed to become a drug addict. And like, now I had the doctor's approval that I could take these things that I was already taking. And um, I didn't think I had a problem, but I obviously had a problem. Like when I broke my collarbone, I was by myself on the mountain, like ski bowl. It was like 10.30 at night, and it was my last run down the hill, and I was by myself, and I like hit this, hit, I caught an edge and flew forward, and I saw there was like a six foot drop. and the realization of me, I was going to hit the ground, and I was flying forward, I went into shock, and I actually don't remember hitting the ground. I kind of blacked out mid-flight, and I landed right on my neck and my collarbone. I remember waking up, and I pushed down on my right arm to get up, and I had this burning sensation, realizing I broke my collarbone. The first thing that popped into my head is, I'm going to get a prescription. The AA people think that's funny. Everybody else is like, oh my gosh. So that's, that's how we do the meetings, too, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I didn't think I had, that's what I'm saying, though. I didn't think I had a problem. Obviously, anybody would say, yes, you have a problem. You need help. So I told the doctor that, that I, my prescriptions ran out for like three months. I told the doctor, I think I'm sick, I'm addicted. And he's like, okay, here's some more. Just wean yourself off of it. And to me, I was like, I can't do that because I'm going to feel sick by the end of it. I'm just going to keep taking them until I'm not sick. And that's what I did. Um, and that's kind of how I lived my life for the next few years. 
with that whole thing is I just don't want to be sick. But I was really scared because I didn't want to, because my, like my life and, and understanding of drug addiction was like what I saw on TV, like MTV, I'm a heroin addict. And I remember just looking at those people and thinking, you're so disgusting, why don't you just pick yourself up? I had no compassion. I had no understanding that they were bound by the liar and they thought that they were worthless, so they were doing things that made them feel whole or whatever, but then it didn't look that way. It, didn't, it was just, I didn't have compassion on it. Um, but I found myself kind of getting in those situations that I saw and they became my reality and it started to really raise some red flags in my life. Um, and one of the worst times in my life was when I was 22 years old, I dated a 16-year-old girl and we had a relationship, I guess you could call it, full of fueled by addiction, abuse, both on both ends, physical abuse, like we would get in fights. Um, she eventually became pregnant and she had an abortion through that whole thing and I influenced that decision. It was horrific, like some, thing, some of the things that happened as a result of that lie and things that I just, wit as like I was just like living outside of myself seeing these things happen, but all along the way my family is being drugged through it. You know, and it's like, some of you might be thinking right now, looking at me, you've never heard me say that before. Plenty of you guys have heard me say those things, but like, I couldn't have believed that you went through those things. Like, I can't picture you doing those things. Well, that's because there's good news, but I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so yeah, it was a terrible, horrific thing, and through it all, I ended up going to treatment in 2008, but I wasn't convinced I had a problem. I just got caught, basically. And my parents gave me an ultimatum. They said, either you're going to go to treatment or you're going to be homeless. And so that was a crucial decision in my life. I could have, just, I could have full on decided, okay, fine, I'm going to go live with the girl that I'm with or whatever. And it would have been a lot different for me. I might not be alive. But I chose to go to treatment, even though I didn't want to. And I went to treatment, and it was cool and fun. Um, I was almost like high school again, just climbing up the chain of popularity. And I felt accepted, but... I was just trying to fit in again, you know, and I got out and just wasn't convinced I had a problem with like smoking pot and drinking. And eventually I did that again, and then I got worse, like even worse to the point to where I was shooting heroin, I was sharing needles, I was in places and situations where my life was being threatened, and all being driven by this monster of sickness that I just was terrified. Like my whole motivation was just survival at that point. Like getting high for me meant an appetite to eat something, and six hours of sleep, maybe. That was my life. And then I would be sick for another two days in this desert, I call it, basically. I would be in this oasis for like a day, and then two days I would be in this desert just scraping by because I was scared to like really get into stealing and selling. And I did some of that. I stole from my parents the most out of anybody. So anyways, it got to the point where one day I was hiding up in my parents' game room. I was living with them. I was 23 years old. My mom came upstairs, and she asked me, she said, Ali, you doing all right? And I looked at her with a heavy heart, and I was like, do you really want to know? Like, I was so broken. I was so sick of all this junk I was carrying. Like, but I didn't know how to help myself. I was scared. I knew about AA, but it just seemed like a lot of work, and I didn't give myself to people to help me. And she asked me, are you, you know, I asked, you know, are you, do you really want to know? And then I told her everything, and I went to detox. My dad drove me to detox, and my dad wasn't necessarily like, and he'll 
attest to this, like a, a super spiritual religious man growing up. And, uh, but that was okay. But in that moment, something happened. My dad decided to pray for me before we went into detox. And I didn't know what it was at the time, but like I felt like I got washed. My dad prayed for me the best prayer that he knew how, and I felt like I was washed, and all of a sudden, I felt like I could do this. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. I'm not saying that it wasn't easy from there on, all the steps that I took, but I felt like I could. I had this voice, instead of saying, you're never gonna make it, I had this voice saying, you can do this, you can do this. And I got myself around people that could help me. And, uh, and so, you know, and at that point, I had, I had no power to change myself, but only the, the, only the ability to position myself to be changed by God. And that's really all anyone can ever do, is what I've learned. Like, religion says you have to change yourself. Relationship says that you have to position yourself to be changed by him. Because otherwise it's works. It's grace, right? Like, otherwise it's me that changed me, and not God. You know, and it reminds me of the verse, you know, Luke 14, 11, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the word exalt means to lift or raise up, and humble means to make low. Um, and I picture the, the humbling thing is more of like to bring yourself to ground zero. You know, to not, be, to not consider yourself more highly than you ought. You know, just to say, this is where I'm at. It's hard. I don't like it. I need help. That's to make yourself low. And it's amazing, as you see in this story, God lifts us up. Anytime you humble yourself, you're not going to be met with, yeah, you shouldn't have done it. What are you thinking? How, can, what, how many times am I going to have to go through this with you? It's always Jesus, every single time, makes an example of their faith, and they are saved, which is a lot more than going to heaven. It actually means healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. And I didn't get taught that when I was a kid, but there is a lot of content in that word saved that means for today, and not yet, but also today. Um, so yeah, after, after treatment, I got really involved in AA, and I have a new family now, along with my church family, but I've started out in AA and got super involved, and my life changed dramatically. Um, you know, while I was doing that, I went to church, and still, I started going here. It was Whipple Creek at the time, and it was also the exchange church was here, and it was more of just a, a drumming thing. I'd played drums in church before, and it was kind of like almost like a gig. I would walk out into the foyer during the sermon, and I wouldn't really pay attention much. But as the weeks progressed, I found myself, and of course, you know, Becky invited me to church events before I ever met her daughter. She would invite me to stuff, and I'd be like, yeah, I think I'm busy with uh, nothing, <laughs> but I'm going to be doing something, not that. That's basically, and that's kind of how it worked out. Um, I never went, and I just never, I kind of always just stayed outside. I was really involved in AA, which a lot of people know that, and, uh, but the church thing still kind of freaked me out. Um, but eventually there was like this 90-day New Testament challenge, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to read my Bible. I'm going to actually read my Bible. I'm a Christian. Huh. Like, I, that was the first time that I, I'm serious, that was the first time that I actually decided to pick up this book and, and read this book for myself. And I remember turning, and I have, you know, a lot of you guys can, you, you probably have the red letters, and I remember reading the red letters it was just, I couldn't explain the, the fascination and the wonder that when Jesus would speak, I just didn't know what he was saying. Kind of like the disciples are like, man, that was amazing. I don't even know what you're saying. Kind of thing. Like, that's kind of how I felt. I was just like, 
I don't know exactly what you mean by these seemingly crazy, intricate parables, but I know there's something rich and deep, and I want to know it. I want to become it. And uh, it was around that same time that I met Kami, and she was, she's super inspirational to me and in being in, in missions and stuff. And um, yeah, and we uh, eventually, you know, she inspired me, and you know, I still though there was like this thing. It's like she's like. I just knew it. Like, she's pure. She's untouched by life. Like, she's got a good family, a dad that loves her. She doesn't have all these terrible relationships. So our past in comparison told me that I don't deserve her. I'm not good enough for her. And I believed that actually for a long time. And I actually had people, not that go here anymore, but at the time, a couple people told me that. Like, you know, you know that you're not good enough for her, right? And I was like, man. I started to think about it, too, because I was like, I wonder if you're right. And it was crazy, though, because every time I would express that, she would always, she would just shut me right down. And she would tell me who I was. Like, not even realizing what she was doing at the time to the same extent that we do it now, but, like, um, I don't know. She just didn't see me for who I'd been. And it was, it was something I wasn't used to, you know. Um, and eventually we, we got married. Um, we, after our first date, we got, I proposed after three and a half months, and then Four months later, we were married, which is pretty awesome because I never thought I would be married or any of that stuff. I was convinced I would never experience life that way. That was for other, that was a life left for better men because I'd done too much. You know, I just didn't deserve a relationship, you know, and um, even throughout our marriage and stuff, like I still didn't feel like I was good enough and I still just. Still this thing that just kind of kept me at distance from God, and um, I was baptized in October 2012, and I noticed a lot of things changing in my heart, and like, I would go to church on Sundays, and I just felt even worse. Like, you think, you're supposed to feel better now, right? Like, you're saved. Hey, you're in the book, bud. Like, I felt worse now. The sermons and stuff, I would feel worse like, because would, I would just hear it as everything that's being said and everything I read in the Bible is showing me where I'm not and showing me what I'm lacking. And I, because I didn't have any foundation of identity. Um, and it really kind of messed with me a lot. I felt super guilty and condemned all the time. Um, and then one day I listened to this speaker, my friend Kyle Ringering. He's not with us anymore, but he's hearing me right now. I'm excited about that. Um, He showed me this guy, and he was like, I almost didn't listen to him because I don't listen to speakers and stuff, and he was like, he really made it a point. He's like, have you listened to the video yet? And I was like, dude, I'm not, okay, fine. Like, fine. I listened to this guy. It was like a 27-minute video, and I was like, how am I supposed to listen to a 27? That's so long. Like, it was so long to me, which now is, like, hilarious because I've listened to, like, three-hour videos and been totally into it the whole time. Um... But I'm really glad that I did because it changed my life. And uh, it showed me something about the cross. Like, the whole time I always saw everything that Jesus went through. And this isn't any fault to people that preached. I'm just saying the way that I interpreted it. I always saw everything that Jesus did as a method to make me feel guilty to serve him. And so I was just supposed to feel bad for this man and then just pick up my own life and willfully serve him in obligation which sounds good. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that was the best that I could do, which is why I always felt like I wasn't enough and that God was disappointed in me. He wasn't pleased with me. 
I wasn't worth his son dying because look at the life that I'm living. I'm rejected. I wasn't accepted. Um, but it's like something shifted, you know, and this, and this line always sticks, sticks with me. The cross doesn't expose your sin. It removes your sin and reveals your value. And it's not to, to take away of sinfulness, but I'm, what I'm saying is like the purpose of that was not to expose you as you're bad. Most people know full well they're bad. I mean, unless you're like a blind Pharisee that's like the worst of the worst, but even then Paul got knocked off his high horse and now look at him. He's got 13 books in the New Testament. So what I'm saying is like, if you see the purpose in the picture of the cross as God removing that off of you to reveal how much you're worth, all of a sudden when you watch him and you see what he went through, the whole time you realize that that's how much you're worth. That's what I was willing to go through to get you back. Not see what you did to me, see what you've done to me, see what you're responsible for. That's the way I used to see it. It's your fault. It's your fault. Your fault. And of course, Jesus had to die because I sinned, but that's not the only reason why he died. He died to show me that I was his son. I was meant to be that way from the beginning beginning of time, if you look at the garden, there was nothing wrong, and now Jesus has come and showed us and justified us, and so there's something that's supposed to change, and I really believe that's what's happening here in this church, too, and a lot of churches, I hear this message of identity, and it's a big deal, you know, and people, you know, I hear people say all the time, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. I say, no, you don't know what he went through to get you back. There's a difference, but you don't understand what I went through. No, you don't understand what he went through, not to make you feel guilty, I, but this person did this to me, and it's like, yeah, but look what happened to him. Look at what God says about you. Look at, what, like, if anybody's ever watched it, and you don't have to, but, like, I watched The Passion of the Christ when I was 17 years old, and I cried like a little boy with the youth group, and I was like, oh, there's girls there. I'm going to go. Cool. We're watching a movie. What's this about? And I watched the movie, and I was horrified because, and I just felt so guilty, and it's like, look at what this man had to go through, this poor man in a sense of more like a sentimental thing. And I watched it like two and a half years ago with the shift of the fact that he, what he was wanting to go through to get me back. And I was by myself, which was the funnest part, you know, and this, this, hopefully this isn't too intimate or whatever, but like the part where he's getting hit in the back with the cat of nine tails, every single time he got hit, I felt a wave of heat go down my back and I heard the verse, by his stripes you are healed. And there's something that shifts in that, like every time he was hit, I was restored. Every time he was mocked, I was justified. What if, what if that's it? Like that's all the, the simple shift in, in, what, in what God says about you, like to where you don't feel guilty for what had to happen. You feel uplifted and exhorted. All of a sudden, there's such an incredible value in your life. How could I not be valuable? Look what he did. How could I not feel loved? Look at what he expressed. It's just like... But it's not always that way. Sometimes it's still, when I explain it to people, it still seems like I'm trying to make them feel guilty. Like, look what Jesus went through. You think your life is hard? Look what he went through. And it's like, man, the devil is a jerk. I'm not trying to say that, but that's how it gets explained or, you know, by that lie. And it's like, man, but love is patient, you know? And that's the way that I have to be because sometimes people have strongholds in their lives that are, it's almost like a fortress. This fortress of a lie, stronghold, just built just this camp and the devil's in there like this. Hope the walls stay up. And I have, all I have is a, is a sledgehammer, right? And I'm just 
whacking that thing one piece by piece. And I can't see this thing necessarily. I don't know how big it is. And all I have is the ability to hit one piece at a time, chipping off, chipping off. You come over, you knock a piece off. You come over, knock a piece off. If, we're all, if we all have sledgehammers, eventually that thing is going to fall. And one person will be the last person to hit it, and the whole thing will crumble. And it will seem like it was all them, but in reality it was every one of us. And that's the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening right now, I believe it. Not just here, but everywhere, you know. And there's, there's churches that are doing God's work, and I've always been doing God's work, and might just not know about it. So, I don't know. My whole life, I thought the whole point of the cross was to get me forgiven so I could go to heaven. But it was actually just the beginning of my relationship with God, which is pretty exciting. So I, I want to read through the scripture kind of the finer points of the things that really stood out to me. Um, hope that makes sense in my testimony. I, I was actually kind of, I did all right. I didn't go too long. I didn't have like 30 minutes, and then I'm like, and then I turned 17. It's like, that's tendency to do that. Because I did a lot of bad stuff. So... So when I was like, I was reading this uh, last week, and I just was like, kind of just letting it, like David just like told me, you know, just let it saturate, you know, and just kind of sit with it. And so I did that, you know, and the first thing that stood out to me was, and behold, the woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was, sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. So I was like, okay, when the woman heard about Jesus, she went and brought this super expensive bottle of perfume and just went into the, into the house and started worshiping him, like tears and wiping, like this, it's like kind of a freaky thing in a sense. Like being the Pharisees, like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, can you imagine, like, what would you have to be going through, understand about someone to do that to somebody, to break into their, not break in, but just come into their house and like, just like dump perfume on their on their feet and like wipe your hair with the tears. It's like, it's like extreme to me. And I was like, okay, there had to have been something that happened. Like, she couldn't have just heard about some Jesus guy that she didn't know anything about. There had to have been something that happened to her, something she experienced through him. I believe that she had already experienced repentance. She, would already, she was already in a state of repentance and had, had been forgiven and received the gospel and the message to the point to where that's why she came to him. Like, she was loving much because she had forgiven much, been forgiven much, versus like how it might be interpreted as like, because you've loved much, now you're forgiven much. Like because you've made the move to do this, now you're forgiven, versus Jesus came to us, like he came as the expressed image of who God is to give us forgiveness, and now it's up to us to receive what's already been given, versus try to like, muster up whatever, all this, you know, like, oh, worship God, okay, I worship you. It's like, I don't even know who you are. And it's like, that's why I love Jesus, because I really do know who God is through his son, because he's really bold in saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that, they didn't like that a lot, the Pharisees. Um, they didn't like a lot that he had to say, not just because of what he was saying, but like, Jesus is like 30 years old when he started his earthly ministry. Like, I'm 33, so it's like somebody like me just kind of coming in and being like, read the scroll, bam, this scripture has been fulfilled, and then like drop the mic and then just go sit down. <laughs> like it's like, a, like who is this guy? Like not only like who do you think you are, but like 
according to the flesh, according to his age, like, you're, who is this hotshot? Like, who do you think you are? Like, these Pharisees are probably, I don't know, in their maybe like 50s or 60s or something, or not all of them, but some of them are like spent their whole lives studying the law, you know? And so, of course, like, he's like this threat, you know, and that's, I love that though, because it doesn't, it's not to be like, ha, I got you. It's more of just like, look how amazing God is. It's like, like when kids get a Holy Spirit, they don't get a junior-sized Holy Spirit. They get the whole thing. It's like not, it's not like a Happy Meal with a toy. So this woman is like overwhelmed. Like she just is, freaks out and she just is going into this house and is like worshiping him. And the Jews are like, or the Pharisees are just like, do you understand who you're dealing with? Like, obviously she had a reputation. Like, I don't think that they just looked at her. I'm, I'm assuming that she had some kind of reputation. Do you understand to what nature of woman? Do you understand who you're dealing with, who's touching you right now, the filth that you might get on him? Versus like, well, obviously at, at that point, I think he understood it. I don't know and as far as the context of Jesus' timeline, but the leper would touch Jesus and the leper becomes clean versus if the, lepers, the leprosy person touches Jesus, Jesus becomes dirty. It's the opposite. David said it before and communicated it really well. Like Jesus isn't, isn't vulnerable to that stuff. People are vulnerable to what he does. So the one that's sick is not, is not making Jesus vulnerable. They are vulnerable to his healing, which is really good. Um, so the Pharisees are super upset about that, I guess you could say. I don't know to what extent. I don't want to peg them as like these just like chin in the air, like, oh my gosh. I don't know. I'm, it's more of an intimate setting. Like I think Jim said that they were like kind of like on the floor or something like that. It's just kind of like sitting on the floor or whatever. It's like this kind of a, they weren't just like, come on, Jesus, let's test and trap you. Like they've done that, but I don't think this was the setting. But they definitely weren't, they didn't have the right motive because every single time a Pharisee would ask a question and they had the wrong motive, Jesus would answer them with a question or give them a parable. And so that's a good kind of, you can tell. And so I don't ever want to be that way, I guess, with God. As far as asking questions, I want to have a question in the right heart to learn. Um, so yeah, the way this woman is acting indicates she was already in a state of repentance, meaning she had to have been deeply moved by Jesus previously to be so overwhelmed. I mean, it's obvious, but like sometimes when I read stuff, I just kind of go over it real fast, and I'm like, oh yeah, she just started wiping her hair on him. It's a normal thing. It's like, no, she, like, seriously, like, that's, I just picture her, like, frantic and, like, sobbing. Like, why? What happened? She met him. I just know it. Like, she had to, because he's so amazing. Like, anyone that comes in his sphere, you just walk into that. You just have to touch his garment, and you be healed. Like, I, I just believe that today, that that's who we are. Not trying to be something, but just receiving our identities. Um, and so the hard, the hard thing is like, so he gives the picture of the debt, the, def, the debt dif- difference. You know, like this person knows 50, this person knows 500. So who's, who's going to love more? Well, of course, the one that's been forgiven more. And so the picture of the, the story is not really focused on this woman. It's actually on the Pharisee who didn't believe he'd been forgiven little or, or didn't believe he'd have to be forgiven of anything, in a sense. And so I'm like, how do I explain this, God, of like, because I don't want to just sit there, like all sin is sin, all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
but I don't want to like say, oh, you stole a Jolly Rancher. You're just as mad, bad as the person that murdered someone. I don't really want to connect the dots that way. I was like, I need, I need a more encouraging picture. And so God gave me this picture, I believe, of so if sin is, say sin is an ocean, and we're all, we're all in it, we're all, we're all sinking, we're all, some are deeper than others, some are in shallower waters, but at, at the same time, everyone needs to be rescued. It doesn't matter where you're at. Every single person needs to be rescued. And guess what? Guess who's rescuing us? Jesus. And when he pulls us out of the water, he pulls us into the same boat. The same boat, regardless of what you've done, you still need to be saved and you end up in the same boat. And that's amazing to me because even though I've done all this stuff, I end up being in the same boat and he's there. That's fun. He's there. He's there. Like, he's with me. It's, it's so good. So I'm like, why, why do we struggle with this? Like, Because I've had people say, it's like, man, like, you know, Alex, you love much because you've been forgiven much. And I would say, I love much because I've been forgiven. That's it. I've just been forgiven. Like, it's not even about what I've been through. It's about what he did. That's what makes us all equal. We're all worth the blood. I made mistakes. People have done worse things than me, so they should give more love, right? No, it's what he did that makes them worthy. It's what he did that makes them amazing. And it's like, so everyone is in. Like, it's by... It's by, you know, you're saved by grace through faith. And it says, so that no one may boast. And I feel like, not to add, but it would be cool if it was like, and so that everyone can receive it. Like, it's not just about what you do to get to God, but it's like, it's so everyone can receive it. Every single person is in. And that's good news to me. I like this. So... Forgiveness isn't something God did. It's who I am. I am forgiven. I haven't been forgiven. I am forgiven. There's a shift. It's a big shift to me. Because God is I am. And so if he says I am, if he loves me, then I am loved. If he says he forgives me, then I am forgiven. If he gives me mercy, then I am am merciful. I can become merciful. And so forgiveness is not something God does. It's a realm that we walk into. It's something where we live. So that's why it's really easy to forgive people when you've received forgiveness. When you realize how much you've been forgiven, it's so much easier to forgive people. Because now there's nothing in me that's stopping me from forgiving because I'm, I've been, like David says, the forgiveness is canceling a debt. So I have nothing that's being asked of me. I have so much room for people now why wouldn't I forgive you? Because I realize you don't understand what, you, what he did for you. The reason why you're, you're struggling so much isn't because of life, it's because you don't realize how valuable you are to God. Not to say that life isn't hard, it absolutely is. Jesus had a pretty tough life, I'd say. I don't think he was just skipping through the wilderness 40 days, hey. It was flesh, there was temptation, the devil came, but yet he didn't know how to, how to, how to not be resistant to him and he just spoke the word of God. And he came out better for it. He spent 40 days in the wilderness and came out in the spirit and, and power. And the Israelites spent 40 years in the same place and they died because of the motive. They went in there for themselves, they were complaining, and we probably would have done the same without knowing him. Apart from him, we probably would have done the same thing. 
But when we know him and we're in relationship, when we realize why we're going in there, we come out better for it. I'm going to get my kids back. I'm going to get my kids back. I'm going to get my kids back. He's getting his back tore open. I'm going to get my kids back. I'm going to get my kids back. Sorry, that's how, I, that's how I feel right now. I feel like a little kid. Like I've never made a mistake. I'm trying to gather myself so I can actually speak words. <laughs> that's what it is, and I believe that's what heaven's like. Heaven came to me. Eternal life is knowing Him, not when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life is this, that you may know Him. I can't help this. I'm not trying. I didn't plan on, okay, this is where you need to cry. Like, I'm not trying to do that. (laughs) It's just true. Like, I just want us to be like, like kids. Yes. That's how I feel like a little kid. Unless you become like a little child, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. How do I become like a little child? Know him. He will wash you. He will set you free from everything that's, that's, that you've done and everything that's been done to you. There have been some things that we've been victims of and Jesus didn't just die to forgive sin that we committed, but he, desi- he died to remove the effects of sins against us. Things have happened to us. People didn't understand, but it's so hard because it's still your life. It's still your reality. So how, do you just, are you, how, do you just, how can you just be okay with that? You have to rest on they don't understand how much they're worth because if they knew that they were loved by God, they would never treat me that way. It has to be that simple because I could tell my son Elliot he would do that. He would, he would just go and run his, the rest of his life that way. And I would always be there to, to catch him if somebody does something too crazy, but it would always be that simple truth, like a child. He just doesn't understand, bud. He just doesn't understand. He is hurting so much. I would explain it the same way I'd explain it to my son. I believe that's the way that God ex- explains it to me. And that's the way I want to believe it, the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Because he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I feel free right now. It's pretty awesome. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's pretty much, I guess, the, I kind of got through it without dissecting every single section of scripture, but like the lady did everything, like the Jewish, the Jewish customs when you had a guest, I kind of looked up, looked this up, like that was the things that you would do, you would greet them with a kiss, and you would wash their feet, and you would anoint their head with oil, that was like a custom of, of greeting and bringing in a guest, and those Pharisees, did, they did none of those things, and this woman did these things all at once, and he made such an example of her, see, She's humbling herself. She's literally bringing herself down low to where I am. Because that's what we don't understand, is we think when we take a knee that we're down and he's up. No, he's right there. 
right there because he's the one that lifts you up. How could he not lift you up if he wasn't down there? He doesn't go, like he's right there. He's actually lifting me up. That's the way that he works. And you see that in his life. Jesus did not expect anyone to do anything that he didn't walk through himself. He didn't call any person to do one thing that he didn't walk through in himself. That's awesome. Like completely free of hypocrisy, completely clean. It's like, yeah, of course. But it's like he, was, he did the, all, everything that he did. He did it as a man. You know, completely full of God and completely full of man. But he did everything as a man. He was tempted at all points yet without sin. Just like we can be. We can be tempted and we don't have to give in to it. And we can actually not have sin in our lives. Whoa, whoa. Can I just say that? It's possible. I'm not saying that I'm living that way. I would be a fool to say that. But I'm taking the ceiling off of my roof. I'm not having a roof anymore. I'm just, I'm going to give God the ability to be faithful to what he says. He who, can, he who abides in him, will, it says, like, it, if you remain in him, I don't know. It, just, it says that he who remains in him will walk just as he did. Man, that sounds pretty bold to me. Who remains in him, though. It says abide, you know, but it's, if that means to remain, if you remain in him, you'll walk, he ought to walk just as he did. Capital H. Jesus. Can I do that by myself? Absolutely not. It's impossible. I've tried. And the best that I got is, see, you're worthless. See, you'll never meet up to God's standard. See, you're pathetic. God's so disappointed in you. It's not about what I did. It's about what he's done. That's all I can really say about that, you know, and I really think this forgiveness thing, like, there's some people that have not done the same things as I have. And there's some people that have done worse things. So it's like, where do we stand? If we're all comparing our stories, then there's, there's a problem. Then you can, you're only, well, this is the way you are because of what happened. This is the way you are. And it's like, if we go there, then yeah, we're never going to be okay. But if we rest in what he did, then we all can be free. <laughs> Every single person. Regardless of what you've been through, he's been through it. He understands. And he's there to take it off. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world takes away the sin. Takes away the sin. He takes it away, you guys. He takes it away right now. He can take it all away. Everything that's trying to set you, set you captive in, in the guilt and shame of life, he wants to take it away. I want you to walk out of this place right now as if you've never made a mistake because that's who God is. He doesn't want us dragging our chin on the ground for three days feeling guilty. You just need to say, God, I wish I didn't, and that's it. Heart cry, I wish I didn't. Oh, man, what was I thinking? And then he's faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So then what's left? Righteousness. There I go. I'm righteous again. That's too simple, brother. I know. That's why it's awesome. So, yeah, I guess that's the point of my, my story today is forgiveness isn't something God did. It's who I am. I am forgiven. We are forgiven. It's who we are. It's not something that I just have an experience one day and then go mess up and then have to go ask for more, more forgiveness. If that's the way it is, then yeah. That's the, that's the picture of a concubine in that day where they would just kind of ha- come you know, to their master and kind of have a moment or a night and then they'd go away and go make mistakes or do all this stuff and it was just only a moment in time kind of thing versus a covenant and a bride where we're never going to be separate or we're always together. Well, there's never any question of who he is, and he's never questioning who we are because we're one. 
me and him and him and me. It's like there's no division. It's like not saying I'm God, but it's like there's no separation in who I am compared to who he is because he lives in me. I should have brought a sledgehammer because I feel like that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just beating it over. You guys get the point. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, David. That's what I got to say about today. And I'm just overwhelmed by the people that came that don't normally come to church. Um, it is really humbling and it honors me so much. And there's no motive. Just here, God loves you. Like, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's like the daisy. Pick the daisy. He loves me. 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 I don't care if you run out. He loves me. That's it. That's it. There's no he loves me not. He does. He'll never change his mind. And you, as soon as you realize that, it's amazing how it just, just, it just infiltrates the core of everything that's ever happened to you, and it just cleans you out like Drano. Seriously. Drano is good, too. <laughs>